Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San all right, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. Uh, I began uh, talking to my next guest uh, over a year ago, and he's he's been real active in circles uh, locally since he uh, came back to Waco. And uh, it's James Derek Ross. Derek Ross um, is a descendant, is a Wichita descendant of the Wichita tribe, and I wanted um, to have Derek on to talk a little bit about just tribal connections to Waco and is uh, not only the historical part of that, but as those have been reignited uh, recently and Derek's been involved in a lot of that work, cool work that's going on right now. Uh, but I'd love to start, Derek, if you just want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of your background. So, um, so my name is Derek Ross. My dad's name is James Ross. My first name is James also. And if you, if you somehow search the 2014, Wichita Tribe uh, Tribune article. You'll see my dad is James Bunny. It's his name, middle name, Bunny. I mean, it's not his middle name. It's a, it's a Wichita name. Kukisokits is it's a Wichita word. The, the Wichita Tribe is the Wichita and affiliated tribes, Waco, Tawakani, Kichai. It's actually four tribes um, all together. But we go by today the Wichita Tribe, and there's a lot of history. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all this, but I have a lot of notes um, and knowledge. But uh, the Wichita tribe is today located in Anadarko, Oklahoma. That's where I was born. And I'm, I pretty much grew up in Gracemont, Anadarko, and then moved to Texas about halfway through my young life. And um, actually, I've been living in the Philippines for about 20 years mm-hmm. and um, a missionary in the Philippines. I speak Tagalog, the language of the Filipino people, and I really understand culture. And I think that's been so beneficial for my life because... Understanding culture helps you understand the challenges that um, Wichita's, Waco's, Tawakani, Kichai people experience. Um, uh, and actually, I, I'm in the Philippines uh, because I desire to go there. So I have to submit to the culture there because everybody's, you know, it's their culture. <coughs> the opposite is true for my tribe, you know, uh, going back some, some years they didn't have to go anywhere to experience culture shock, and uh, mm-hmm. and they had to submit to a new culture that that was uh, tragic. So it's really become special. And and I speak the language of the Waco people to some degree, and grew up in the culture. And uh, and my and my 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 dad is is very strong in my life, but my stepmother is Ponca. My dad's Wichita. My stepmother is Ponca. And her name is Barbara Warner, and she was the director of Indian Affairs for the state of Oklahoma for 20 of the 43 years that that position uh, existed. And so 
there was no way for me to escape. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is, look at that, and this is what this is, and, you know, education all the time, you know, uh, as a little kid, you're trying to, you know, play games and eat, you know, candy or something, but it was no escaping culture and heritage, you know, cultural education, so that's that's kind of my background. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I want to hear about your kind of personal experience, but I'd like to go back a little bit. I mean, one thing that uh, our community has not done a great job doing is talking about um, this place, you know, this place and as and the people that it was connected to. And so if you can talk a little bit about uh, that history as you've come to understand it, and perhaps that's from your own research, but perhaps through oral tradition that kind of came down to you. Yeah, so maybe I should back up to just as a child, you know, if you're a, a young person uh, and you're my age, today it's, it's, it's fading. There's about 7,000 languages in the world today, and um, linguists say that uh, we're l- losing one language every week, and by 100 years from now, we'll have lost half of the s- 7,000 languages. We'll have lost seven, uh, half of the 7,000 languages 100 years from now. And so our language was dissipating the Wichita language. So Wichita, Waco, Tawakini are pretty much the same. They're Caddoan languages, and they're, they're kind of the same. Um, it's just very slightly different, you know. Uh, Kichai is the other tribe that's within our tribe, uh, and uh, and it might be a little, it might have been a little different. <coughs> Excuse me, but um, but when I was growing up as a kid, you know, you're 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 sitting around the house, and so n- n- nobody's really. My grandma and her sister, they're speaking Wichita together, or my my grandmother and her cousins, they're they're speaking Wichita, but. The little kids like me, this, so this is 1974. Um, people are still speaking Wichita, you know, the Waco, the mm-hmm. in language of the Waco Indians. Excuse me. And um, but around the house, if you're playing and you're doing, you're into something that you shouldn't be into, <laughs> then uh, almost like uh, the way anybody's parents would say. I mean, all of a sudden they turn on the the discipline, you know. You know, uh, Stephen J. Sloan or whatever your initial <laughs> is. You know, uh, for, I, I don't know, but uh, come over here. You know, and so the the discipline when it comes out like that, if you're a Wichita kid, Waco, you know, then um, they would say Hato. You know, so Hato means stop that that you're doing. Don't do that or something. Hato, or if you're just being silly, um, like if a I'm telling some same stories all the time, but just to give an example, if you cut a, a watermelon, you know, in half, and you carved out the inside, and you, if you're like a ten-year-old kid, and you put it on your head, that would look silly. And so, if you walked in the door with a watermelon on your head or something, just some goofy activity a child might do, then someone would say, uh, "Ooh, uh, uh, or "ks," you know, uh, th- those words, especially "ooh." means something like uh i mean it has a meaning you know so it it, it uh it would mean something like you're so silly or <laughs> what are you doing you know or or witzka uh you know witzka that means almost a similar similar thing oh my go- gosh you know or goodness for goodness sakes or something you know witzka 
with, with uh, the expression would be there would be an exp- you know a uh, feeling in there which guy you know um, <laughs> and so you're learning all those things as a, a little kid you know but you're not thinking so when people ask me about like this is an interview or whatever but when people ask me about these things it's not like you know I went to a class or something yeah. it's just my life you know yeah. and so being Wichita is not something I want to be or tried to be or it's just who I am mm-hmm. so it's not you know uh, I guess that really speaks to the oral part of mm-hmm. your background and what you're doing yeah um, but I will say um, the this week we we took uh, Fiona Bond was zooming in she had went with us in December but we went to uh, Anadarko Oklahoma with uh, Charlie Horner Carla Pendergraf from the uh, both from the city of Waco Charlie Walter and Trey Crumpton from Baylor University to meet the president of the the Wichita tribe and Mm -hmm. so being there was a lot of fun for me because it's where I grew up Um, you know if you're if you're a Wichita young person you know the language is going on when you're when you're young like that and you're not really I'm going to powwows you know Um, other people probably around here go to rodeos or Mm -hmm. something you know we were going to powwows you know and um and um, I was a part of the board for the Austin powwow here in Texas about 20 years ago. But um, but those are the kind of things a young, you know, Native American or, or I- American Indian or tribal person would would be doing. Um, my family, they some some people dance, some people bead, some people sing. Our language, you know, we we have a language, you know. Um, there. Are, are 3,600 people in the tribe today. Mm-hmm. In the twi- 1820s, there's like 500 people off all four tribes. Uh, if you back up to 800 AD, you know, or, or pr- probably it's hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Coronado in, in 1601 or 1541, what I have written down somewhere, they, uh, they counted 160,000 um, Wichita people in one s- in one space, and so it's a it's a and also the Wichita tribe, Waco, Tawakin, and Kichai, we're indigenous. We're the f- we're, we're the only tribe really indigenous to this area mm-hmm. between south of Waco and all the way to Kansas City. So when people hear, um, and I, it's funny because I'm thinking, really, um, when people hear Wichita Falls, Texas, or Wichita, Kansas, or um, um, Kichai Creek or Tawak- Lake Tawakini mm-hmm. near Dallas, uh, not Dallas, but uh, Tyler. Mm-hmm. Um, in Waco, Texas, yeah, people, I mean, I'm here in Waco, Texas for about a year and I meet people at Home Depot or Walmart and I s- conversation and people say, I'm, I'm like, uh, do, I'm just wondering, you know, so I'll ask people, do you know anything about Waco, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm a native Waco. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, for me, you know, it's if you can just laugh with me, it's kind of funny because Native, native Waco, and, you know, I'm like, well, not really. Yeah. <laughs> but I met a really, and I met, I'm, I'm a nice person. You know, I'm not like a vigilante. <laughs> but I met a guy recently, Bobby, uh, had introduced me to somebody. And the, the man, first thing he said, I was like, are you from Waco? He said, yeah, fourth generation with pride, you know, which, which is, a, which is um, honorable, you know. But that's still new, you know. I mean, 800 A.D. and four generations, there's a big difference, you know. Um, 
I don't, I don't know where we're going, but uh, yeah. I was going to say one thing. Yeah, I, go ahead. I, and I, this is not to be. I just I want to be an educator, and I'm I'm really working with the city leaders and Baylor and everybody you know in in town to help educate people. And so this is not meant to be offensive, but one of the main things that I I encounter almost every single time I mention to someone that I'm Wichita or Waco, and I'm and actually if there are four tribes are Waco, Tawakini, Kichai, or Wichita, and that's another story. Um, <clears throat> people from the Wichita tribe today, nobody says I'm Tawakini, mm-hmm. uh, really, but uh, people would just say I'm Wichita for a couple of uh, hundred you know, years, 150 years. So, um, so, but I am specifically from the Waco tribe, so th- I, I know that I'm Waco uh, um, within the Wichita tribe. But, so back to... Um, the language or encountering people, people will say, "Oh, you're you're a Waco Indian." Oh, it's it's not Waco, it's Huaco, and that's the first thing that people say, which is incorrect. Uh, and so the way uh, a person would say Waco, you know, in uh, 150 years ago, uh, would be Waiko. So there's a uh, two two eyes. So it's and if you go to our our website wichitatribe.com I think there's a cultural and then language and you can find it actually if you go to uh Wichita Tribe language app we just uploaded an app to you know Google whatever or Google Play or whatever it is you know so you can you can learn to speak some words in our language but you'll find Waco it says Waco and then then you click on it and it says Waiko, so that that would be the way. And I and I shared with Bobby and other city leaders, um, Carla Pendergraft from the Convention and Visitors Bureau, and and I would like to help you also and, and other people. The the historical Waco historical over by uh, what is it? Um, historic um, Waco Foundation uh, next to In and Out Burgers. Yeah, that, historic that's, Waco that's, Foundation. That's historic. Mm-hmm. Um, In and Out Burgers is a historic <laughs> landmark. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a California <laughs> historical <Yeah>. landmark. <laughs> but, but I'm meeting with uh, that gentleman, uh, Eric Swanson. Eric Swanson yeah. on Thursday to talk about these things. Um, and if we could somehow, if I could, if people would, uh, in, if I could somehow gently uh, help people kind of uh, uh, edit some of their, like on your side, it, mm-hmm. says, it, just, it says Hueco or whatever, mm-hmm. however you say that. But that that would be a, a wonderful way to just help educate. And actually, I talked about this with the tribe this week on Friday after the, the Baylor and City of Waco people left that uh, maybe I could help um, do some editing in the historic Waco or Historical Society or McLennan County or Baylor city of Waco, anywhere that those things are kind of a, a little off, you know, mm-hmm. if I could help a little bit, it would be wonderful. Um, does, that, does that sound okay? Yeah, or, that's that's yeah. great. I, mean, I think that's extremely <laughs> useful. I, I'm interested, Derek, just as, as you, you know, you, you talked about that 10-year-old with uh, half a watermelon on his head. You know, as, as you kind of grew up, the tribal history that was imparted to you or that you learned, I'm kind of interested in knowing, you know, what what were the elements, that, uh, even as you think of it now, that were kind of foundational in you kind of understanding uh, your own tribal history. 
Yeah, so uh, there are some people, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, there's a new Martin Scorsese movie coming out called Killers of the Flower Moon mm-hmm. about the Osage tribe, available at fabledbooks.com. <laughs> um, a product placement. I, I had a meeting with Kimberly Batson, is uh-huh, that right? Yeah. So um, I, I got my book there and read it. It's a great book. But uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Robert De Niro in that movie, along with four uh, native women, tri- tribal women, and one of the, the women is uh, Kara Myers, and so, um, so we're trying to bring her here to, um, to Waco to Fable Books. Uh, it's a thing that I'm trying to work out with Fable Books, where we can bring a speaker and help do a variety of different kind of cultural um, education, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of Kara, so she plays one of the key women in the movie Killers of the Flower Moon. And, uh, but she, she grew up in L.A., so she left Anadarko as a young person, very young, and basically grew up like a California girl to, mm-hmm. to some degree, and so she's an actress in Hollywood. And so uh, just getting to know her through calling and text, uh, she doesn't really know our, our language and mm-hmm. a lot of our culture because of where she grew up, kind of like a, a second-generation Vietnamese or second-generation uh, uh, Filipinos or other people who came to the U.S., they... Their, their la- they lose their language sometimes. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of coaching her a little bit, sharing with her some things. And so, but she could come and, and share in, in, in Waco. I think that would be f- fun for people in the community. Um, but uh, yeah, so growing up, uh, what, what was your question? Uh, I'm interested uh, you, as you learn kind of your own tribal history, how oh, it yeah, was yeah. imparted to you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like I said before, my stepmom was the director of Indian Affairs for the state of Oklahoma for 20 mm-hmm. years, and so everybody's really pouring into me. If you're a kid, you're not really paying attention sometimes. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, you know taking out the garbage. Like, oh man, it's all the way to the alley. You know, it's so far. <laughs> you know, and so. Uh, so the kid mentality. So I, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17. And so I, I was in the Marine Corps for some period of time. And when I came back to, um, um, I was stationed overseas. So when I came back to America, um, um, I actually lived with my grandmother, Laureen Ross, uh, for about a year in Oklahoma, a uh, lot in Oklahoma. And during that time, I, uh, I learned, uh, I mean, I had an opportunity to, proactively there's a difference between um what is the you know just sitting around you know learning uh because it's in the air and mm-hmm. then proactively um like researching asking, it. Yeah. yeah so i just sit down with my grandma and i ask her um the first very first thing i learned i mean i learned a lot of stuff as a kid in church the church that i went to is rock springs indian baptist church it, it was planted by a creek indian in 1874 so it's the First Baptist Church among Plains Indians, 146 years old church mm. in Anadarko right now. But I learned a lot as a kid. But when I sat down with my grandma in um, 1987 or 88 or somewhere like that, um, I just started asking questions. Uh, and the first question that I asked was, "How do you say I love you, Grandma?" <laughs> and so. <laughs> My grandma kind of smiled, and she was shy. I guess that that would be a funny thing to, that's like saying, how do you say you're so brilliant, you know, or, or something, you know. So she, she was kind of shy to to respond, but 
and 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 uh, and I, I was in the Marine Corps all over the world, so I've learned a lot of a little bit of many languages back then. But uh, so so when she said Tatara uh, Okash, I love you, Aka, Grandma. Uh, then I asked her again, and then I, I watched her mouth. I, I speak Tagalog today, so I learned a whole other language over the last twenty years. But if you're if you're learning a language, it's 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 a uh, immersion is is important. And, and asking, to be able to ask someone, you know, Rosetta Stone and all these things that you can, mm-hmm. those are helpful, but sp- spending time with a person and watching the way Tatara Okash Aka, the way their, their lips move, their, you can see their, the way their tongue is uh, resting on the front of their teeth or whatever, you know. So I just asked my grandma again and again, how do you say it uh, again? She'll see, she said, Tatara Okash Aka. So then I was like, again, and then I would say, say it. And then in the beginning, you know, you're, you're tr- kind of nervous. And so you don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm going to say it wrong. So then I just kept asking her those, those questions, you know, over and over again. And then, and then I would say it and she would say, um, yeah, I can just tell her, oh, that's not exactly <laughs> right, you know? And so, um, but, uh, that's, that's the, so then I had an opportunity to learn during that time you know, where I was, it was my desire to learn, you mm-hmm. know, um, kind of like when your kids wake up to responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> if you have kids. But, um, so that's, that's, that's my, um, my, my kind of story of learning. And then, uh, all, all my life, it's just been valuable to me. Um, so I've always learned, uh, and my, my dad is a real big, teacher, you know, advocate of uh, teaching me about our culture and those things. And then really the last year has exploded because now I'm the kind of go-to person in Waco. I mean, I don't even know how anybody could, I mean, even just standing around, I probably know more than the general person because I am, you know, you know, a Wichita, a Waco Indian, you know. So, um but the tribe is helping me a lot, and I'm communicating with the tribe about. Um, presently, I'm not an official representative of the of the tribe in Waco, but um, uh, the president Terry Parton is my cousin, and it's a small tribe, and mm-hmm. I'm probably related to everybody in the tribe. <laughs> I mean, literally everybody. Um, so we're working towards uh, doing some things that help. Waco in a, in a way and maybe some business things that might help us in a way. I'm a meeting with um, Jonathan Grant on um, Thursday morning at the Hunger Relief Farm mm-hmm. yeah. to talk about food sovereignty and the tribe, maybe some kind of partnership and um, all those kind of things. These are just ideas. They're not, um, I mean, if somebody hears us and says, that's not true or whatever, you know, it's just things that w- we would like to maybe work towards. So, Derek, how did all that happen? Because that's not why you moved here. I mean, it's not it's not like you moved here with that in mind. So can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Yeah. Uh, did you ever read the book by um, Malcolm Gladwell, um, um, Tipping Point? No. Mm, I've uh, read other lots, books. Lots, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he wrote a, a book called Tipping Point that has – how to start an epidemic is is kind of the the theme of the book, and one of the one of the characters in, in things exploding is uh, uh, somebody who's uh, 
a maven is someone who's an expert in 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 in, in something that, that his field or whatever that is. A salesperson is one of those other people, and one of the people is a connector. Mm. And so a connector has um, um, lots of relationships, small relationships with uh, many many people. And so somehow um, I'm I'm just naturally like that. In the Philippines, I know Manny Pacquiao. I know mm-hmm. congressmen, senators, rock stars, PBA, uh, Philippine Basketball Association. You know, poor people, rich people, everybody in the Philippines. It's 120 million people. I know so many people, but it's a natural somehow thing. Mm. I'm I'm kind of industrious anyway, but. Sometimes, actually, Bobby Horner is the one. He's the one reason. If you know Bobby, mm-hmm. you, you probably you yeah. might have no Bobby, but he's really the the catalyst to all my problems. Now my <laughs> schedule is so busy. I'm joking him all the time, but he's uh, but uh but uh, these things kind of just happen organically a little bit. The mm-hmm. the Waco Tribune ran an article in in uh, September right before I went to. The tribe asked me to represent the tribe in uh, at a grapevine. The city of Grapevine put up uh, uh, ten statues of uh, uh, ten Native American tribes in uh, in uh, that met with President of the Texas Republic Sam Houston in 1843, uh, the Treaty at Birds Fort, and so. Our tribe is uh, limited in their going out because of COVID and all those mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, so the 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 leadership from the tribe asked me if I would represent the tribe at this function. So it was uh, three statues. There were ten all together, but three of the statues were Waco, Tawakini, and Kichai. Mm. And so that's our tribe. And so I spoke at that event. And when that happened, the Tribune ran an article here. And then Bobby saw the article. And then from that, Bobby just introduced me to Byron Johnson, Charlie Walter, Carla Pendergraft, Fiona Bond, I had already met Fiona on another occasion, but just somehow those things had started clicking, and and then it's a, it's my love, you know. It's like uh, it's not. I mean, somebody doesn't have to. It's not like pulling teeth or anything, mm-hmm. you know. I love my Wichita heritage and our language and our culture and our history, and um, so it's not a problem for me to want to tell people about those things, you know. Um, and then some other things happen. Uh, actually, it just so happens probably America is ripe for these conversations mm. in contrast to, um, you know, even 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the the, the Bu- Bureau of Indian Affairs, the Department of the Interior has a uh, uh, Native American leadership. This is big news for Indian country, you know, people who are Native American or tribes. Um, Texas Christian University made a land acknowledgement of the Wichita Tribe. University of Texas in Austin has me on a committee right now. They're, they're making a, a land acknowledgement uh, in, in Arlington. Uh, University of North Texas in Denton made a land acknowledgement. The city of Grapevine, Baylor's going that direction. Mm-hmm. So um, there's just a, it's just ripe for these conversations. And so there's a lot of opportunity for education cultural you know uh, language um, heritage so so all this organic things that were happening uh, gave me an opportunity to jump in you know like uh, proactively you know 
So I'm excited about that. Um, it's actually pulling me away a little bit from my mission in the Philippines, yeah. so that's oh. a major problem. <laughs> uh, I have a lot going on there, but but I'm excited to tell people about our heritage, our Waiko heritage, um, and uh, yeah, even the. This is something I don't know where where you want to go. I have a lot of history here. I can from 800 AD all the way to 1961, but so that might take a while. But um, but as an example, um, the Wichita, even the Wichita. This is part of the the history when the when the Spanish came. Uh, if you were to go to Saudi Arabia and look at a mountain range or a people group, uh, and then you might say, uh, you might come up with your own name for that people group or that river or that, um, you know, whatever that scenic point is. And so um, the Spanish gave us a name twice, I think, over the course of about 100 years. One group named us uh, Quivera, and then another group, actually named us Wichita, and then another group named us Espinosa or something. I forget what's that. I got it written down somewhere. But but uh, so today the, the word Wichita stuck mm-hmm. um, uh, for about 100 years or so. But um, if you were going to ask a person who's Wichita um, 200 years ago, then the person would say Kirikiris Tatsak. So we are Wichita, you know, so Kirikiris is the the Wichita part, Tatsak is the we are part, so you're kind of saying Wichita, we are. Mm. So um, so even those kind of things, you know, I think that's a, that would be a great, I mean, those, those are great educational yeah. things for people to think about, you know. Oh, wait a minute. Um, so the Wichita people wasn't even, I mean, Wichita wasn't even their name, you know. How did that happen, you know, and the, the, so then you explain that. And so, and, and also back to the culture shock. I, I went to the Philippines with the IMB mm-hmm. the first two years, and so I was a missionary. And I had been, all, I was in the Marine Corps, so I've been to Korea, Hong Kong, Japan, Thailand, Australia, Africa, the Philippines, all Singapore, all over the world. I thought that because I had all that experience that I would never experience culture shock. But after being in Manila for about 18 months, um, and I'm a, I'm a pretty uh, tough person, you know, but after about 18 months of frustration daily, it was overwhelming, you know. Mm. And I was actually crying one day. I told my wife, I said, let's just leave. Mm. And so culture shock is so devastating, you know. And so knowing that, personally knowing that experience as a missionary, and actually I've been there 20 years now, so mm-hmm. I speak the language. The culture shock still happening all the time. But the difference is I know it's coming I'm more uh, understanding to the culture, and it's not a shock, you know. I know it's gonna it's gonna yeah. happen every day, and uh, I can work through it. But for the Wichita people, the Waco, Tawakani, Kichai, the the our tribe who was here before, for, for those settlers coming in, in the early you know late 1700s, early 1800s, and it's just really flowing, you know, at that point, and and then the those settlers moving us around and all that, and the government doing all these things, it must have been devastating for those, yeah. for those people in our tribe back then because I know personally culture shock, and it's it's so hard. I mean, it's a weight that you can feel because um, everything is, is the our food, back to food, so our food, 
source and our livelihood, all the, those things are taken away, and then we have to take um, a government food, government assistance, you know, so our, yeah. our diet is completely changed, you know, uh, completely changed in, in the location where we're living, so I can really feel that um, because I, I have had that experience to some small degree yeah. as a missionary. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love to go through some of the history that you've kind of collected uh, of the tribe and talk talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, w- one of the things is probably people don't even are even aware of this, but we're, we're probably one of the last tribes to um, have the opportunity to be compensated for land that was taken away. And so, like I said before, the uh, Kansas City, Wichita, Kansas, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Fort Worth, Waco, and south of here, and then all, all the way over to you know Tyler, and all the way over to like Abilene. That that's our land, you know. And mm-hmm. so, we we were in a, a court, a federal court with the the U.S. government through the probably 1960s and maybe 1970s strong and uh, by 1986 the the federal government um, made a decision to compensate us not for all that we were asking even the 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 geographic you know where we were asking I mean we're saying it's it's obvious you can find you can go to the Galt site in uh, Austin or wherever that is and you can see the except brought it you can see the um, the um, the places where the places where our tribe had grass houses, so we're building mm-hmm. grass houses that look something like that. Your listeners can't see that, but um, but there's a map that shows. Um, the li- listeners can't see this. Kind of the all, range all, all of over, property all yeah. over Kansas. These are Wichita grass houses all over Oklahoma. So the whole of Oklahoma, North Texas, and and southern Kansas. Mm-hmm was uh wichita we're we're living in those places so um uh i lost track of what i was gonna say you were kind of walking through uh, some of the history uh, but you were kind of establishing the range of 14 million acres so yeah so in 1986 yeah yeah, i'm sorry i lost train of thought uh in 1986 the federal government uh uh made a decision to pay us for 14 million acres is, is what we what we all we got and so but the problem with the 14 million acres, it's Dallas, Texas, you know, Oklahoma City. I mean, actually, Kerr-McGee and the oil companies, not not even just the the retail value, I mean, the real estate value of the land, but the 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 oil-rich soil, you know, all through Oklahoma, you mm-hmm. know. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's just incredible. Um, so, uh, so we were paid um, $1 per acre because they, they said the time that the land was taken away the value of the land was one dollar per acre, and so at that point we had two thousand two hundred people in the tribe in, in the eighties, and someone said um, one one woman, Frances Wise, is her name. She said, "No, we we shouldn't take the money." Everybody else in the tribe tribe said, "Yes, take the money," and the attorneys said, "If you don't take the money this this in this settlement, then you will never get anything." And so the leadership just made a decision to take the money. So. We were paid fourteen million dollars, one dollar per acre for fourteen million acres, and uh, and then some of the money went to the tribal members. That was twenty-two, so I got ten thousand um, dollars, and then a, a portion of that money went to the tribe, 
for investments and business and, and, and we're kind of a thriving tribe today. We're a small tribe, but mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're working on you know, being successful. So yeah, so, um, and actually uh, Dr. Wernicke, do you know him? He's mm-hmm. from the Galt side. He spoke at the Indigenous Peoples Day at Baylor last November. And so he said, um, and, and if you're a Christian, there's, there's also a Christian perspective. A lot of the things that I talk about when I, when I speak about these things is, is really perspective. Um, but um, if you look at from an archaeological perspective, <coughs> excuse me, um, those people will say that the, the tribe, the Wichita people were here maybe 15,000 years. Actually, I talked to him on the phone today. I remember he said fifteen thousand years. This morning he said fifteen to twenty thousand years. But mm. from a, a, a biblical perspective, the Earth is maybe not even that old. So it depends what your viewpoint is on those things. But I would say at least um, if uh, Jesus is dying on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem, and our and our tribe is in this place living mm-hmm. with a government system, uh, order, you know, um, uh, families. Um, structure you know and so for for a long 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 time you know um and the wichita tribe is actually one of the tribes that's a a peacemaker uh trade in between uh the french and uh other tribes you know Mm -hmm. so we're we're a we're a, a key part of uh society in this part of the united states but um uh Wichita Falls, Wichita, Kansas, Wichita Mountains, Lawton, Oklahoma, Lake Tawakini, Waco, Texas, Kichai Creek, et cetera. I men- mentioned that before. Those are all landmarks that you can see that have something to do with Wichita. Um, I met people before. I met a, a girl from Wichita Falls, and I said, do you know, are you from Wichita Falls? Yeah. You know, uh, do you know anything about the origins? Or She's like, no. I'm like, it's a, Wich- it's a tribe of Indians. She's like, oh, really? And so uh, I was like, well, how, how do people, and actually my, uh, I was talking to someone earlier today, that the education that we get in schools, in public schools, we, we homeschool our kids, yeah. mm-hmm. but if you educate, uh, if you just go to public school, you're not learning the complete history. There's a lot of blanks in, in all the history in the United States. And so, you know, probably people don't even know this, these things. But so around 800 A.D., the Wichita Village system emerges, and I was talking to Dr. Warnicke earlier today. That's one of the ways that archaeologists, because mm-hmm. our, our uh, actually our tribe is building uh, Wichita grass houses that basically it's 29 poles in a circle with two doors on either side and uh, an inner frame that's, uh, you know, built on the inside. And uh, so in order to build these grass houses, you have to have 29 holes in the ground. So if you if you look at this map, archaeologists can find those settlements, those villages, where it's obvious that there's a, you know a big circle with twenty nine holes. You know, mm-hmm. and, oh, this was a house here. You know, so um, so around eight hundred eight A.D., you can find the that system emerging. You know, um, according to you know Spanish explorers, they first found that our ancestors somewhere around north central Kansas and uh, it was a string of villages. There was 160,000 people in that one space um, according to the reports from the Spanish um, 
Around 1,400, our Wichita ancestors traded with other tribes, glazed pottery, turquoise, shell beads, wood and gray pottery. And so, I mean, 800 to 1,400, you know, there's a thriving government and communities, you know. And so... Uh, and kind it, of a, kind of an intertribal network uh, between patterns of trade and between tribes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually the... The Wichita tribe, the Waco tribe, the Tawakani tribe, the Kichai tribe, these tribes have their own chief. Today, today tribes like our tribe has a president. Mm-hmm. Some tribes like the Seminole, uh, the Muscogee Creek tribe in Oklahoma has a um, uh, principal chief. Some tribes have chairmen. But yeah, so during the course of that time, all those villages on the map you can see uh, and these governments, you know, it's, it's obvious that there's <coughs> a growing you know, thriving civilization of people. Um, and, and also, so if you're a Native American or, or tri- tri- you're from a tribe, uh, for someone to say, uh, uh, we civilize these people, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of silly because, you know, these people are living here um, thousands of years, you know. Uh, the settlers who are coming in, you know, I, I used to like this uh, show. Jeremiah Johnson, did you ever see that long oh, time yeah. ago? Robert Redford. That was so cool. Yeah. Uh, those people are trying to learn. That, that's kind of a good movie. He's really trying to learn the ways. But these people are living, growing up, generation after generation after generation, you know, uh, learning how to, our tribe is storing food under the ground, you know. We know how to uh, hunt bison in the good times and then save that food to be able to help other people, you know, when it's it's tough times, you know. So uh, the the problem is that's why I'm I'm really a great missionary because I have that perspective. You know, I'm not trying to make people American. I'm trying to bring another message that's about uh, not about my culture in America, but about you know what's the message that I'm trying to share mm-hmm. in the Philippines. You know, so but I I, I know uh, have a really good grasp on that because I have that filter. But so yeah, by 1492. Um, the whole of the United States, the whole of the United States is uh, tribal people all over the United States. You know, I have a friend in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. He's a white guy, and he speaks Navajo. Um, he really uh, immersed himself in the culture, you know, but but the Navajo people, you know, the up in Oregon, the Klamath tribe, you know, mm-hmm. tribes all over the United States. And, and actually in Oklahoma, like I mentioned before, um, it's a it's a Wichita land, so when the um, the 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 node the 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 tribe with the most um, uh, told story is the Trail of Tears, mm-hmm. but uh, but every tribe the Seminole and the Muscogee Creek you know and all these other tribes were were also all those tribes yeah. were forced out Forcibly of their relocated, land, yeah. and um, even. Uh, I don't know how great history people are are, are paying attention, but um, the Indian Removal Act, you know, Indian Relocation, you Mm -hmm. know, the Dawes Act and all these things, you know, are happening to uh, the different tribes. So today there are 39 tribes in the state of Oklahoma, and it's really new, new people, you know, even like the man that I met, super nice guy, who said, I've been in Waco for four generations. Even those other tribes in Oklahoma, 
the Osage tribe, Killers of the Flower Moon. Osage are from some other place. Mm-hmm. They were moved. Actually, Cherokees had taken over the place, Pahuska, where, where the Cherokees were. And then the the Osage bought that land from the Cherokee tribe. But it was never theirs to buy in the first place. It yeah. was Indian. It was a uh, Wichita land. Yeah, so if you, if you, if you speak to uh, uh, Native Americans, different tribes, if somebody has knowledge of their tribe, um, you know, if somebody's like, I'm, I'm a 132nd Cherokee, probably they don't have uh, the f- feeling, the passion, the pain, and the knowledge. But if you talk to someone who really knows their tribe, you're going to hear words that are common, like genocide and forced removal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the things that's good about the First Americans Museum, FAM, in Oklahoma City, just opened in September, is uh, it's not the Smithsonian. So the Smithsonian has historically been run by, you know, people who were not necessarily, I mean, the leadership was never nat- a native yeah. person until this year. And so Cynthia Chavez Lamar is now the director of that na- uh, Native uh, American Indian part of the F- Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. And, and her husband is Walter Lamar, and he's my uncle. And so it just so happens that I, I really think there's a plan for me being here because my, my somehow heritage connections, family, just so happens that it's just me somehow. So so back to the, um, you know, the uh, whole of America, you know, uh, you'll hear, you know, genocide, forced removal. When you look at the, the story that they're telling at the, First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City, it's harsh. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, the normal, you know, Indian museum, you know, with a headdress and some moccasins. Yeah. They're telling stories, you know, that are if you are not native, it might be uh, a really easy to to be offended, you know, mm-hmm. because it's 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 very honest, you know, a very honest, and so. But I think it's it's if you really want to educate people, if there's a way, actually I can do what I'm doing with anger. You know, uh, I mentioned in the, in the in the in the Waco Tribune article, I could be a very angry person, but I probably wouldn't educate anybody if I was angry. You know, yeah. and I have relationships with other people who are Native American from other other tribes or whatever tribe, and they 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 might come across like that but I want to be a diplomat I want people to learn and uh, I know that um, there's a way to do that you know so that's my goal you know Mm -hmm. Coronado came in 1541 he encountered the Wichita tribe Uh, by that time he he could he could uh, see that oh they have a a chief and a sub chief somewhere around Lyons Kansas and so they counted 29 villages that went on for miles some of those villages had 200 houses, Coronado called the settlement Quivera. Mm-hmm. So that's the first place where we got s- some name. And in our tribe today, our, we have a, uh, and we have to actually adopt some of these things because it's just time, you know. But um, we have uh, five companies at our tribe today, uh, two of those companies. One is Anadarko Industries at NASA, and the other one is uh, um Wichita Government Services, or is that? Um, we have two businesses at NASA today, and the the Anadarko Industries 
is uh, has been there since 2003, and my dad was the um, founding chairman for the economic, the industrial development commission at our tribe. So um, today, those and I had a meeting this week as with the tribe to see look at some partnerships in Waco. We're looking for business partners in Waco, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so the the name of our parent company for all five businesses is called Quivera. Okay. So it's the Carnado thing. Um, so we can't escape some of these things. In 1601, <laughs> um, I think 60 years from that, 1541, uh, si- 60 years went by, and by 1601, no, no one had encountered uh, Wichita people. In 1601, another uh, delegation of people from Spain uh, came to where we were, and they called us Etsanoa, Etsanoa. So uh, so now, again, we're being, and, and now I'm in Waco, and people are still renaming us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay, you know, um, but uh, but that's what education is for, you know. So so 1601, you know, we got another name. So we're Cravera, then we're Etsanoa. So, um, and this is a quote from the Juan uh, de Onatis expedition in 1601. He said, uh, we came to a settlement containing more than 1,200 houses, all established along the bank of another good-sized river. They were all around on the outside, covered with dry grass. That's our, our Wichita grass house. We remained here for one day in this pleasant spot, surrounded on all sides by fields of maize and crops from the account of, San, of uh, Juan de Anotes Expedition 1601. And so, um, so uh, you know, we're, we're a thriving community of people, 1,200 houses. Um, recently in somewhere, I think it's near Wichita, Kansas, they found a, a site that was home to, it looks like about 4,000 uh, people. And so I think it's, uh, maybe it's Wichita, Kansas, but so we're, 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 there's evidence that we're here, you know, mm-hmm. for a long, long time. In the 1700s, um, successful, I'm just kind of jumping. There's a lot. I mean, it, sure, it I goes understand. on and on and on. Yeah. But uh, in the 1700s, we had a successful trade with the French Americans, Caddo and Comanches. The Wichita never traded with the Spanish, um, but um, the French Americans, Caddo and Comanches. And I told my son this morning, I was talking, I, I said, I, I guess... We probably had to learn French. I'm, I'm assuming that mm-hmm. uh, the people, the leadership in our tribe spoke French, um, kind of like in uh, Burkina Faso and other places in, in the world. You know, there are uh, native populations of people who had to learn like a trade language, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably they're speaking English and French because we're the ones who are the <coughs> go-betweens between the Caddo's, the Comanches, and the French, you know, uh, our tribe is like that. So um, Spain didn't want any guns or ammunition for the Wichita's and wanted to control all of the trade during that time in the 1700s. Settlers are pouring into the region and a number of conflicts are increasing. And I was in the Marine Corps and I, I love the Marine Corps and, and actually I'm a great missionary. I'm great at what I'm doing now mm-hmm. because of the Marine Corps. It, the, real, the Marine Corps really made me who I am. But um, when I went to, um, Byron Johnson is a great guy. He's with the Texas Ranger Museum. And I had several meetings with Byron and their education people over there. And I'm trying to do, I'm trying to help in some small ways. I don't want to 
takeaway from their mission to mm-hmm. tell the story of Texas Rangers, but it's not really about uh, uh, taking away the story, but filling in the blanks and uh, rewording the tension. And so, if you uh, if you uh, if you have kids, like I have kids, you know, and I have five kids, you know, my kids will some of my kids will come to me and they'll say. Um, uh, I won't say their names, <laughs> but so-and-so did this and whatever, you know, and I'm like, you're kidding me. I was like, now call the other the other child, come here, you know, and so our, our other child would come over, and then they would start telling the story, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's two different stories. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. all perspective, and so when you look at the story that the Texas Ranger Museum is telling, mm-hmm. um, and I went through there a week before my, I met with Byron Johnson, I was a secret shopper. I kind of just went through um, to to read whatever I could read, and everywhere that the word Indians is on anything over there, it's it's only a few places, but it's an, it's too much. Uh, it says hostile Indians, and so I was in the Marine Corps and I served, you know, uh, in the Marine Corps. And if you're uh, if you do something great for your nation, you know, if if you're serving your nation in battle in defense of your nation uh the united states gives you you know medals of valor and uh, badges of honor and uh um you know all all kinds of ribbons for so doing great things in defense of your nation you know but whenever um that story is being told here in texas um we're we're hostile you know and so maybe a hero might be a better word Mm. if we're, we're defending our nation you know during that time, uh, <coughs> so it's really just perspective, you know. I think that's the big, that's the big thing uh, on telling the story in Texas. And I actually, I, after I went to the Grapevine thing, I was invited back to Grapevine. I think twice already. Um, and uh, and the last time I went there, I met a guy I had already met before the first time, Derek Birdsall, and he's the great guy. Also, he's the he's the uh, director of the Sam Houston Museum in Huntsville, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so he's a super, super guy. And he has a a story about Sam Houston, you know, and Thomas Jefferson and Texas and all these things. And I, it was the Texas Independence Day, mm-hmm. uh, March 2nd, but the, the event at in Grapevine was actually March 3rd or, some, 3rd or something like that. So he got up and shared his uh, story, you know. It's this, it's this story, you know, um, it's actually 18 something or other, but uh, he's he's sharing this uh, narrative, you know, and if you listen to that narrative, you know, of Derek Birdsall and and Sam Houston, you know, or if you listen to the narrative at um, the Texas Ranger Museum, it's romantic, you know. Mm-hmm. If you if you walk to the courtyard of the of the Texas Ranger Museum, um, uh, you'll see a man, uh, a statue holding a device kind of on, on, on something like this, you know, under his arms. And uh, it's George E. e. Rath, and that's the guy who uh, platted or, or whatever, surveyed. So when um, the romantic, you know, Texan, you know, I, I, I fall into that category to some degree, you know, when a person comes and looks at that, it's kind of romantic and there's mm-hmm. an awe about it. Wow, this is when Waco became a place, you know, but for Native Americans, you might have a different perspective. You might look at that instead of thinking about surveys, you might be thinking about stolen 
land, you know, mm-hmm. and so your your viewpoint might be a little different, you know. Um, so th- I think that perspective is really important, you That's know. That's everything. Yeah. Um, in in seventeen nineteen, you know, another explorer, uh, Bernard de la Harpe, encountered the Wichita tribe near present day Tulsa, and this began a relationship with our tribe and the French that became a successful trade with bison and firearms, and we became kind of the go between between the French and other tribes. The, I thought this was interesting. Um, this is all in our museum. So in Anadarko, Oklahoma, you can go to a his- historical center for the Wichita Tribe Historical Center. And my aunt uh, is the, the director. She's the person who works there. But um, in 1739, the Wichitas exported uh, to Europe 50,000 pelts, uh, bison pelts. And within five years, that number of pelts doubled. Mm. So the Wichita tribe were the middlemen for trade between the tribes and the French. And so we're a great people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a, so, but if you just show up and you're from, you know, the East Coast and you kind of are making your way across the United States and you encounter, or, 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 you know, or, uh, you know, the land rush in Oklahoma, you know, you just, you want to, it's exciting to see. It, when you look at Indians, you know, you're, it's a, you're thinking they're uneducated and uh, maybe uncivilized. You know, your perspective might be uh, a little clouded by your culture, cultural perspective, you know. But um, but our tribe is thriving in business during that time. Mm-hmm. In the 1750s, that brought a lot of challenges to our tribe, sickness and disease. And in the course of, and actually, I, I just don't know, you know, it's like conspiracy theories and things like that. But uh, for some Native Americans, their perspective about the bison were were uh, uh, incredible numbers of uh, bison across the United States, and some people have a viewpoint that when you when you that maybe the government took away that food source to to control the cultural assimilation of the people, you know, which is uh, tragic if that's true. At um, least contributed to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So um, in in. I just have notes here. In 1835, Texas won independence from Spain. They turned their efforts to remove all traces of Indian people in the area. Hostilities soon engulfed Texas. And so through the 1830s, um, there were a lot of challenges, you know. And actually, it's, it's even when I think about, I have to balance uh, how I feel because I'm, I'm still, I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma and I'm from Texas, you know. Actually, we moved to Texas in, in 19... 76, that was the sesquicentennial, mm-hmm. right? I remember yeah. fireworks were going off all <laughs> over Texas, you know. And so I, I love Texas, you know. Um, uh, uh, I, I grew up in Port Aransas, you know, mm-hmm. the beach and everything. So I'm kind of half Texan, you know. I'm half from Oklahoma. That's an odd combination <laughs> for some people. But um, actually, I in the picture from the Baylor, we took the Baylor people up to... Uh, my dad has a had an o, OU shirt on or OU ball cap, <laughs> and someone said, "I like the picture, except for the OU." <laughs> my dad went to OU. Uh, um, my dad was a Russian linguist for the U.S. Army, and we lived in Germany. So, and then he was a career civil service. He served the government for twenty eight years. Um, but my dad's a, and also served our tribe. Mm. But yeah, through the the bison and all those things, the the it brought a lot of challenges to our tribe. Texas won independence from Spain during that 
hostilities across Texas. Um, the U.S. Congress, I'm not even, I'm kind of going you know, around here, but if people want to Google the Dawes Act, Indian Re- Relocation Act, Thomas Jefferson is not a good uh, president um, for, um, for Native Americans because he created the tool uh, through the law for the governments or government people or states to legally take the land from whoever those tribes were everywhere in the United States. And so that and that, so that also brought problems for our tribe because 39 tribes are, ex- are in Oklahoma today, and that's our land. So if you look at where the tribe is today in Anadarko, it's a very small piece of land. We're, we're ranging across Kansas City all the way to Waco, you know, mm-hmm. before. And so because Texas won their independence from Spain, you know, uh, we lost our independence, you know. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, the, the, the political conversations about going to other places in the Middle East and doing those things, you know. It's hard to say whose place it is to be doing these things, you know. Um, and my, I'm a Christian missionary, so mm-hmm. I have to also balance really yeah. well uh, my understanding of forgiveness and, uh, and humility and all those things, and, and I, I get that really well. Um, in, ni- in, in 1857, the U.S. Congress appropriated money to move the Waco, Tuakini, and other tribes from the Brazos Reserve in Texas to Indian Territory in present-day Oklahoma. Let me just stop right there. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, uh, so my dad is 80 years old. I'm 57, so my dad is 80 years old. When my dad was born, the first language that he's probably hearing is Wichita, even though they're probably speaking uh, English, you know, basically, but around the house, they're just speaking Wichita. So mm. I'm kind of, this sounds weird, probably people are like, what? I'm probably a, you know, to some degree, you might be able to say I'm a first generation English speaker. Mm. Um, not that my dad doesn't speak English, but if you want to get technical, you know, his first language that he's hearing is Wichita, the language of the Waco people, you know, Tatara Okash, I love you, you know. His his mother is telling him, "I love you, Tatara Okash. I love you." You know, and so um, so for some people, their their uh, knowledge of their Native American heritage is a distant. You know, I think my my grandmother's aunt uncle said they were we were part, mm-hmm. you know, this or whatever, which is is valid. But I really know, you know, I mean, I you know, I, I didn't like start. I mean, I did at one point start seeking out to know more about my culture and my heritage, but it. It was always there, you know, um, and it's what is the fuel today on your program, you know. I mean, it's 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 a natural fuel, but in the so, but when my when my grandmother was born, um, so Oklahoma wasn't uh, a state until a certain point in 1902 or mm-hmm. whenever that was, um, and so my and also probably people don't even know this, um, so um, Black Americans got the right to vote. Uh, years and years and years before the Native American tribes in America had the right to vote because we weren't citizens of the United States. Are you familiar with that Mm -hmm. history? And so that that is so terrible as an adult. When I learned that, I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. You know, and actually my my grandmother, when she was born, so I'm 57, when I got married in 1992, she was 82 or something like that when when she died. So... um, 
when she was born, she was not even a citizen of the United States, and sh- she was a woman. You know, that's another mm-hmm. another uh, uh, hurdle during that time. But um, so these Indian tribes are being pushed around. You know, um, to present-day Oklahoma, they left on August first in eighteen fifty-nine. Fifteen days later, the fourteen hundred and thirty people ended up one hundred and seventy miles march on the Washita River near the mouth of Sugar Creek. Wichita proper and Kichai were at the Fort Arbuckle Indian Territory, which is uh, if you're if you're familiar when you go up 35, the Arbuckle mm-hmm. Mountains are somewhere right there. So yeah. part so of those just over the state line now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Part of those actually. Ha- have you heard of uh, Falls Creek? Have mm-hmm. you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Falls Creek. It's a camp. Anyway, it's right there. So, um, so, um, so the 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 Wichita proper and the Kichai were in that place. Uh, the Waco and the Tawakani were moved to uh, somewhere um, in Anadarko, basically, and ultimately, um, the all of us ended up in the same place uh, in um, in Anadarko, Oklahoma, um, by 1859. Um, so here's a here's a quote in 1853. I, I, I kind of mixed it up there, but in 1853, this is um, the Tawakani chief in 18. 18- 43 maybe um, uh, the ground upon which you sit is my ground the water which you have drank is my water and you have been welcome not many times have the leaves come and gone since we lived near the white man in peace they were weak and we were strong but I did not want war Soon the white people became strong. They killed my people, took away our lands, and blood was in our path. Ki Chai Ka Roke, Tawakani Chief, 1843. Mm. So uh, so uh, I have so many quotes from people in our tribe that are just uh, painful. Even, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I read a lot of this before, but just writing, rewriting it down. Um, in the 1880s, uh, new strategy. So the for Native Americans, <coughs> we're thinking that um, the the federal government is trying to get us to assimilate. There, there's probably no way a sociologist or anybody could argue that that wasn't happening. So they're trying to get us to assimilate because what we are is unfamiliar to them. And so there's probably some fear in that, you know, and um, just very unfamiliar. And so the federal Indo- in, in Indian policies relied on treaties, reservations, removals, and war to clear the way for white settlements and undermine the tribal governance. So for Native Americans, <coughs> um, our story, our perspective is uh, is uh, different than probably other people's perspective. And so um, my dad uh, says it all the time that the reason that there's no more Wacos in, in Waco, Texas is because the earliest settlers wanted the land, you know. Mm-hmm. And so probably that's true. And I, Probably people can kind of argue about it, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, an intelligent person would have to land on uh, probably that there's some truth to that, you know. Um, Definitely. But um, the U.S. government had had a goal to destroy thousands of years of culture, including our language, which didn't happen. And actually, Bobby Horner asked me, um, because they have a beautiful tour uh, Waco Tours, shout out to Waco Tours. Mm-hmm. Have you been up the ru- river on the Brazos on I have, their tour? Yeah, yeah. So it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And so um, 
one of the things that Bobby said there, um, Kyle, the, the leadership of their company, asked um, if there was one thing, because they, they, they want to say something about Waco Indians on that tour. And so um, so Bobby said, what what is one thing that the Waco tribe or the Wichita tribe, what is one thing that um, you would like that, that if you if the tribe wanted to say something, one thing about the tribe, what would that one thing be? <clears throat> and so <clears throat> I didn't ask. I mean, I, I asked several people in my family and some people from the tribe, but I didn't ask anybody. I didn't tell everybody, hey, I'm asking everybody this one question. I just sent the, the question to about seven people, and the one thing that came back was resilience. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so to, to that we went from 420 people in 1820, or whatever that number was, to 3,600 people, which is a very small number, mm-hmm. that we have businesses at NASA, and we, we operate the Indian Health Services for the whole United States website today. So we're, we're, we, we need to be doing some more business, and I want to help um, the tribe create some businesses because I want to help young people in, in the tribe, you know. Anadarko is a small town like any other small yeah. town in Texas or anywhere. You need to create the opportunities there yeah. so they don't leave. Yeah, yeah. so we're thinking about call centers and other things so that young people can have that income and uh, life. Uh, in 1845, the United States admits Texas to the 28th, as the 28th state and tribes living there fall under the U.S. federal Indian policy. And so there are so many Indian policies and so much... Um, Oh, terrible things going on in America during that time. Um, it's just uh, it's just crazy. And actually, one of the things that uh, oh, a great thing that Byron Johnson said, not 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 there was nothing. Uh, I don't have any ill feelings, you know. If we can if we can help them, you know. Um, but uh, one of the things that he said was, you know, when they started creating the stories at the Texas Ranger. Museum that they weren't really thinking because uh, there's nobody present, you know, mm-hmm. no, nobody's there, nobody like me, you know. Yeah. So it would be you would have to have that person weigh in. Oh, that's a mm-hmm. that says a that's a kind of a derogatory viewpoint of the people that I am, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's really great that that he's open to uh, having this conversation and maybe. Uh, editing some of the ways that um, it's describing that tension, you know, mm-hmm. it's still there and and, and and all that, but maybe maybe uh, filling in the blanks on that on that story. Um, the Waco and the Tawakani are living along the Brazos. Wichita villages span eleven centuries across three states: Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas until 1859. And then we were confined to a reservation near Anadarko, which is where I'm from. So the the federal government created the first Wichita agency and opened in Fort Cobb, and the fort was poorly supplied. And then the Civil War broke out, mm-hmm. which is another thing. It's just we can't even couldn't even give be given a reservation uh, because now the the Civil War is going on. Union forces abandoned the fort mm-hmm. and uh, Fort Cobb. Conditions worsen. Um, and uh, I I noted here welfare and relocation that. If people look at Indians during that time, they might say some derogatory things like uh, they're disheveled, you know, they, they're poorly, uh, they, they don't, uh, they're not well-dressed, you know, and 
and they're just asking for handouts. These people were thriving, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in a different world uh, prior to Coronado, you know. Uh, and so um, welfare is actually this is a kind of a topic that's in the politics today, you know. But welfare is um, uh, a challenge for some cultures, and so um, it's it's just it was brought on us, so there was a limited amount of things that we could do. By 1862, the Fort Cobb uh, agency was attacked and burned, and the Wichita quickly gathered what they could and trekked 300 miles north to Kansas in 32 days. I did the math; it's 10 miles a day, mm. so that's a that's a large group of people moving. Mm -hmm. And so the government is moving us around, moving us around, moving us around, moving us around, you know. This is families, you know. I got on an airplane five times to come from the Philippines to America. I have five kids. When I went to the Philippines, it was the kids were five months old. We had a baby, two, four, and six. Um, that was 2003. It's a, it's a lot of work to, to for a family to get on a plane and travel across the you know, world you know, through airports and, and, and all that, that. Imagine how difficult that is for, you know, for 500 people to travel to somewhere in Kansas, you know, 12 miles a day, you know, mm -hmm. 10 miles a day. For thir for a month, you know, every yeah. day you're, you're traveling that far. It's grueling. Um, I just have some notes here that in 1866, a, a, a new uh, Wichita agency in Kansas went, from lodge to lodge and found terrible conditions for the 392 Wichita, this is 1866, 392 Wichita, 155 Waco, 151 Tawakini, 362 Caddo, 520 Absentee Shawnees, uh, 114 Delaware, 70 Creeks and Cherokee, and 144 Kichai. They were poorly fed, almost naked, and many seriously ill. And if you, if you look at this, these numbers, 392 Wichita, 155 Wichita, uh, Waco, 151 Tawakini, uh, 144 Kichai. We were 160,000. You know, there was 160,000 people yeah. at one point. And so back to resilience, I, I asked all these people in my family in Anadarko and different Oklahoma City, Norman, um, what's one word? And resilience was the word, you know. Mm -hmm. um, in 1872, uh, commencing at the Washita River, the Wichita Reservation was established, established and communal, communal villages end. So the first thing that the American government was trying to do was uh, take, like we had an Indian, uh, uh, um, Riverside Indian School in Anadarko, and the government was trying to uh, cut the, the hair of the kids you couldn't speak your language. My, my grandmother went to, to was going to go to that school. Her mother, who barely spoke English, uh, when she found out you can't speak Wichita in the school, they don't want any of the kids speaking Wichita, she pulled her out of school. Mm. So my grandmother never went to school. My dad's mom, Laureen Ross. And so, um, you know, they're, they're trying to take away culture. They were, they were sending Indians from Anadarko to Pennsylvania to another Indian school to remove them from the care of their parents, you know, yeah. and cut their hair and ch take take away their language. And actually, if you meet uh, second-generation Filipino and second-generation Vietnamese, I have some friends from a, um, a church in, in Houston, and I have lots of friends who are Filipino in California. Uh, second-generation Filipinos uh, don't really 
speak their language because um, I mean I meet pe- people and I say Takasanka, Tagadito, you know, where are you from? Are you from here? You know, and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. speak Tagalog. You know, they're they're young people. You know, youth, Filipino youth, because um, because sometimes uh, assimilation. You know, yeah. So when assimilation didn't work, the tribes were living in communities in Anadarko. So everybody was actually in a grass house for a long period of time, but then they, as they, as those things dissipated, they still lived in communities. <coughs> so then the federal government had some other ideas. Okay, so it looks like it's a, a gift or a positive thing. So the federal government, during the land rush in Oklahoma, they basically took all the land and the, 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 description of why are we doing this is well you have too much land and there's all these people who need land and so what we're going to do is we're going to give you an allotment of 300 acres 150 acres which our family received something like that we're going to give you this land but they also divided up these people so i think it was a sociological strategy to not if it won't if it doesn't happen to help these people assimilate by taking away their language and taking away their culture um, then we'll, we'll we'll separate them from their communities that they live in, you know. So um, and it's also trying to hardwire that private property notion, which would, was not a tribal, yeah, you know, it was not a strictly a tribal notion. Yeah, yeah. and James Henry Pepper, uh, he's the CEO of the First Americans Museum, and if anybody wants to go up there, um, Shoshana Wasserman is a friend of mine from way back. My my family is is really connected and so we took everybody up to the First Americans Museum. But James Pepper Henry said the the challenge is is that the European mindset coming into America, you know, is a uh, people own land, you mm-hmm. know. And so James Pepper Henry said, the land owns us, mm-hmm. you know. So the land owns us and I thought, oh that's kinda cool. That's a different way, d- you know, the land, you know, is what provides for us, and the land is what get where we find our water, and the land is where we get our food, and the land is where the the animals, you know, graze, and so we belong to the land, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, so we, we had a, so our communal v- villages are ending around 1872. So 1972, you know, I'm like eight years old or something, so you can see, What's going on in America? So my my dad is my dad's name is James Bunny. They call him Bunny Gukisokits. Uh, it's uh, his uh, Wichita name, and so his his mother is Laureen Ross, and uh, and then uh, her mother's name is Ruby Hendricks, and then her mother's name is Walkits. And so at the generation of Ruby Hendricks, the parents of my grandmother, they're uh, they're not speaking English, and mm. so. It's just that close, and so that's yeah. that's this time, you know, when Walkets is being born, you know, in the I think it's 1878. So uh, communal vi- villages are ending. We we, we live in a, we're, we have an allotment in Gracemont, and then Fort Cobb, I think. Um, so it is believed that the allotments were a secondary attack on culture because assimilation failed. Mm-hmm. So in 1880. Um, the the Wichita tribe created a thing called Camp Creek, which actually was trying to revisit the communal thing. So I was just in Oklahoma on Monday through Friday, 
and we met with the the Baylor people and, and the president of our tribe, and then we we went over. We're, we're gonna uh, Baylor is about to commission my uncle Gerald Miller to build a grass house in the Baylor Museum. Uh, there's a currently there's something in there, but it's not traditional. It's a mm-hmm. fiber and steel or something yeah. or other. But um, so he builds these grass houses, and so there's one at our historical center. So so. Um, so um, so Camp Creek was trying to revisit that communal gathering thing that, that, that our tribe is doing. And so when we were leaving on Friday, going over, so you leave Anadarko, go north, my dad pointed out, and I, I really never even knew where this was located, but as you're coming down the hill, you can see Gracemont in front of you. And he said, that's Camp Creek right there. There's nothing there anymore, but that's where it was. Mm. And so I thought that was kind of cool. We, we were going to look at, so uh, a Wichita grass house has uh, 29 poles. They're cedar poles. And then the inner um, frame is, is willow, but there's a, f- a forest. It's a, it's a Wichita land somewhere over the hill from Anadarko. And so we went to look at these poles. Mm. But on the way, my dad said, that's Camp Creek. And so mm. the history, so if you, someone was just to Google Wichita tribe, Camp Creek, um, they they uh, they would see some stories about these things. In 1883, this is also an incredible history that's hard to even believe, uh, the Court of Indian Offenses. So if someone wants to Google the Court of Indian Offenses, in 1883, a body of legislation in the United States stated that along with other legislation, restricted the religious and cultural ceremonies of Native American tribes for the purpose of cultural assimila- assimilation. Mm-hmm. Google the guy's name is Henry M. Tiller. And Henry wasn't really for, against uh, uh, everything Native American. He was just against the <coughs> of religious practices, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and cultural cer- ceremonies. But it, it's interesting because uh, if you go to, if you're not a Spanish speaker and you hear people speaking Spanish and you're Anglo, Usually people feel a little nervous because you're like, what are they talking about, you know? And so it's a, probably a normal thing for people to feel like an outsider. <coughs> and uh, so uh, so if you uh, were in, in 1874, so 1874, we're, we're right about here somewhere, there's a, a slave shared the gospel with a, uh, this is a Christian thing, mm-hmm. but a slave shared the gospel with a Creek Indian. The guy's name is John McIntosh, somewhere living around Tulsa area. So that man at 40 years old became a missionary to the Wichita tribe and planted a church, a Christian church in Anadarko, Oklahoma. And so um, so that's 1874. So by 1974, I'm a, a young person in that church. And so if you Google Frank Miller or my uncle Gerald Miller, who's the one who's the Baylor's gonna commission to mm-hmm build the grass house at, at Baylor, the first thing he's going to do is build a, a small uh, eight, four by eight sheet uh, yeah, village. You know, it's a, it's a miniature village and that will be soon, maybe um, a couple of months from now. But um, um, if you, if you, um, 1874, the church is being planted. And so Gerald Miller, the uncle of my uh, the uncle of my uncle, uh, I mean, uh, Frank Miller, the uncle of my Gerald Miller, my uncle, he uh, he was in church when I was a kid. And so at the back of the church, um, uh, 
so I'm, I'm going to have to sing this. Um, <laughs> at the back of the church, uh, so when my dad was a kid, they're preaching in Wichita, the Waco, mm-hmm. the language of the Waco people. My dad is in church. It's a Baptist church. They're preaching in Waco in, in the Wichita language, you know. And so, and they're singing songs, hymns in, in our language. So by the time I got, uh, you know, was born in 64, so I was like 74, I'm 10 years old. There's a man at the back of the church. He's His name is... Uh, Frank Miller, and so, can I hit this? Yeah. So, so, uh, so, uh, so, uh, he had a, a rubber cane, so he's, uh, I mean, he had a cane with a rubber stopper on the end, so he would start, he would start pounding like a, a bead out, and then he would start singing, and so typically for Indian tribes, in, in our tribe anyway, one person begins singing, and the first kind of stands, and then, after that first stanza, other people join in and they sing whatever that song is. So this is about cultural assimilation because the problem is people don't know what what are these people talking about, you know. So as an example, in, a, in church, this this is kind of maybe may discoverable, but probably there's a lot of songs that people didn't know what they were. And mm-hmm. so, but as an example, Ni wa sta wa Wadi Tsoka Nata Yase Hi Ho Wakwishi Nagitskadi Adaho Dante Ikya. So that sounds like the melody of Amazing Grace. So, but there are many songs, Wichita songs, that maybe don't have a familiar melody. So if there were some outsiders in 18. 66 who were out to get these people to assimilate and they heard some somebody saying you know they're singing these songs they would be uh, that would be an offense the uh, Indian offenses you know the court of Indian offenses mm-hmm. you would be breaking a law to sing yeah. a, a, a Baptist hymn in your language you know but people are so afraid of something that they don't know mm-hmm. that they were trying to stamp out, which back to, that makes me a great, when I went to the Philippines, I, I made a intentional effort to, it was such a task to, to learn how to speak Tagalog. It ta- it's taken 20 years and I'm still learning, you know, but if people aren't willing to learn the culture, you know, Hispanic culture, you know, Vietnamese culture, Filipino culture, Wichita culture, then then, uh, yeah, that's a sad world to live in, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and but whenever you, if you can speak a language, as an example, Tagalog, you know, in the Philippines, Gayon nalamang in this way, ang pagibig ng Jos, the love of God, na ibiniganya, he gave kanyang bugtong anak, his one and only son, upang sinuman, so that whoever sumampalataya sa kanya, believeth in him, ahinimapahamik, would not perish, kundi, but macaron ng buhay, have life, walang hanggang, eternal. Mm. So that's John 3.16. So if I, if, I, if, I, uh, if I go to the Philippines and I want to make everybody American, you know, and not communicate, you know, what the Bible teaches, you know, probably not going to get very far. No. But if I had that cultural perspective, and I think if, if the, 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 the European settlers who are moving across America had the mindset of the missionary mindset that I have today, Somehow it wasn't happening. The the church in America was kind of growing in their knowledge of how to communicate those things, you know. 
um, I think uh, maybe there would have been more success and more culture that would exist today. Hmm. There's a Netflix special called uh, Gathering, if anybody wants to watch that. It's a beautiful. The opening uh, clip in the mov- in the documentary is a woman, and she's teaching a young girl. The woman's like 50-something, and the little girl is like 12, and she's teaching her something from their heritage, and she's also... Uh, narrating she's a it's a it's a voiceover you know and so she's you're watching this woman teaching this little girl something and then the the woman is a voiceover on the the recording and she says it's not her fault that she doesn't know her language it almost made me cry because mm. i'm not i know i speak tagalog you know but uh my ability to speak wichita to someone is gone you mm. know I mean, it's really gone uh, it's limited. We have an app. If you go to Wichita Tribe, la- lang- Wichita Tribe language app, you can see our language app. But the words are limited to <coughs> Wiyu, Gitsia, cat and dog, mm-hmm. Gahits is salt, Hikwats is tomato. You know, there's. I, I learned all these things as a kid growing up, but uh, but there's not really someone to speak fluently with. Um, so the, the Court of Indian Offenses, yeah, a body of legislation <coughs> to take away culture, that, that's so terrible, you know. That's 1883. In 1901, George Dorsey lived with the Wichita tribe three years. So there's a book by George A. Dorsey, and the, the title of the book is Mythology of the Wichita. And it's a great book uh, because this man, again, like me, I'm a missionary in the Philippines for 20 years. I made... I mean, my mom died in 2020. My wife's father died um, on Tuesday last week. Mm. We didn't get to see our mm. we didn't get to see our parents uh, in 20 years, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we made a huge sacrifice for other people. George Dorsey did that in 1901. He lived with the Wichita tribe for three years and recorded the voices of all these older people in our tribe. And uh, and. Uh, ask a lot of questions, you know, and, and, and when you genuinely are concerned about the culture of a people, you know, uh, it takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of sacrifice, you know, um, by, yeah, that time is, you know, forced relocation and all that. In the 1920s, the Wichita Nation Association to pursue payment, so we, we created a Wichita Nation Association to pursue payment for the land after our forced relocation, and then um, and then by 1961 we created the Wichita and affiliated tribes uh, on May 8th of that year, and so um, it's just there's so much more. But um, um, <coughs> um, what, what has it been like, Derek? To I mean, when you think of uh, kind of reconnecting you know a, a very place-based people I mean you know your 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 uh, tribal heritage place was really important to to start to kind of re make connections again between this place and your people can you talk a little bit about what it's been like yeah I think and, historically and, I, yeah. I'm starting to think uh, back to if anybody's a fan of Malcolm Gladwell he's a great what the dog saw in all his books he's really a sociologist probably he loves information I'm kind of like that my daughter read the book and she's like this is so boring but I, I, I love 
sociology and the way people think and all those kind of things. Maybe, maybe that makes me a great missionary. But, um, but um, you know, uh, our, our tribe historically were middlemen mm-hmm. and peacemakers and, uh, you know, uh, ling- linguists, you know, um, and, and uh, we never really, uh, I mean, we, we weren't really by nature hostile. We were really peacemakers and negotiators and my dad's been telling me that for a long time, and I think maybe, um, I think maybe that's my purpose. I'm trying not to, you know, I, I have a major calling to the Philippines, mm-hmm. you know, Filipino people. So to even consider leaving that, it's painful, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's painful. We, I, I went up to a kid in 2003, sitting on a campus, a curb at a camp, a university campus. And started talking to him. His name is Abe. Actually, there were four kids, but I, um, you know, I built a relationship with these kids. I was in the the young man's uh, wedding. I was mm-hmm. at the birth of his child. You know, we made a big sacrifice to be there. So to think, what you know, I'm gonna not go to the Philippines anymore. That's painful. You know, yeah. but I'm smart enough to know that maybe there's a real purpose for me here like the people in my tribe historically to be a negotiator or a middle middle person, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking really hard about those things. Um, taking this group of people from the city of Waco, I'm, I met briefly Bradley Ford and shared with him some, um, some things that, you know, we were doing. I met, you know, um, I had a small meeting with a, uh, um, Seth Morris on the on the phone. He's the um, Chamber of Commerce Economic Development President. So, um, and I, I can say this, hopefully I can say this. So for Native American tribes, um, the difference between Hispanic people or black people or other people in the United States is we have treaties with the federal government. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the Department of Interior has treaties that the U.S. government is obligated to and, and there's probably a way out of it, you know. The U.S. government can do <laughs> lots of tricky things, but probably be very difficult for the U.S. government to distance themselves from Native American tribes. And there's about 573 Native American tribes in the United States. 39 are in Oklahoma, and uh, but uh, but because we have all these um, treaties, uh, there are opportunities for small businesses. Native American tribes, mm-hmm. and it's called a 8A company. So if you Google Native American tribe 8A company, um, you'll see that the, there are, are advantages for a Native American tribe-owned business. 51% of the business has to be tribally owned. And for nine years, as an example, if SpaceX is doing something down here and we were to create a company here in Waco, then uh, we can kind of jump the line in regards to maybe if we have the capacity to meet the needs of the contract at SpaceX, as an example, or any any kind of government, DOT, Department of Defense, anything, you know, if we can create a company, we get nine years to help that con- company grow. And so the advantage for us is we, we have revenue streams for the tribe. The advantage for the Waco businessman, someone who's... Uh, you know, native Waco and someone who has a business here is maybe like I met a guy, a, v- a Vietnamese guy who has a company, cybersecurity, at the last uh, 1,000 Friends, the mm-hmm. thing that Bobby does. Yeah. And that guy said, uh, 
I'd like to talk to you and your tribe about these things, you know. So uh, I want to get that word out there for business people, you know. And that's the reason that I'm meeting with Jonathan Grant on Thursday, just to see, just to poke around and see what what is what are the opportunities maybe. I mean, I might waste a bunch of time and find out there's nothing, and then I'll mm-hmm. go back to the Philippines, you know. But if there's something here that can, you know, create um, revenue streams and help the tribe, one of the things is uh, the Philippines is a call center capital of the world. You know, it's the, the it used to be India, but now it's the Philippines. And so I have some partners at the Hope Center in Plano. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a it's a um, June Hunt um, thing, and uh, my partner is a uh, Art Hooker is a guy a businessman. So we're already thinking about a call center in the Philippines. That's a revenue stream for the nonprofit that we have in the Philippines. And so I, I asked the tribe, economic, Quivera, economic development, industrial development people, hey, uh, is there a possibility, have the tribe ever been approached about doing a call center? And, and she said, actually, someone approached us last year, but it was more about the hardware and the, you know that. But we have a business opportunity. My, our friends have uh, are in that industry. Um, Art was in that industry for 10 years. He was one of the vice presidents for Citibank Global setting up call centers. So I'm thinking maybe there's an opportunity. But I've been listening also to all. I went went to every one of these 1,000 friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really a business person anymore. I was before. I'm kind of like Chip Gaines. You know, we're restoring homes in Smithville, Texas. Um, I, I worked for the Greater Austin Chamber of Commerce for about a year during that time. But uh, just thinking about the businesses in, in, in Waco, you know, what kind of things could we create in Waco that would help maybe provide jobs and then also a revenue stream? One of the big things is in Waco is there's no housing, affordable housing. So if you make between eighteen and 20000 a year, and that, that's a struggle, you know. Uh-huh. You're renting a place so hard to find, you know, a place to rent anyway. Um, or you can't pay the taxes. I, I bought a house here. It was built in 1825. We were kind of fixing it up. And, uh, you know, the, I just got my taxes, and so there's a, the, there's an increase, you know. Oh, yeah. And so for some people, you know, that's a difficult, you know. So, you know, if we can find creative ways to help the community, you know, through business or housing. One of the things is Bobby Horner asked me. So this is uh, – so, th- so when people look at tribes – we we can go to Helen Marie Taylor has uh, in the center of her museum. She, she passed away just a couple of a month ago or something. But in the center of the Helen Taylor Museum, have you been in there? Mm-hmm. There's a big uh, area that's fully Wichita. It's it's our mm-hmm. tribe, and actually um, there there's some people on the walls that's in my family, you know. But um, so um, you know when you when you go over there and look at that, you know there there's a lot of history there. Um, God, I lost my train of thought again. Um, yeah, so there's a, a lot of opportunities for the tribe here in, in Waco and just trying to work out those things. Well, it's you know. been neat that you've been able to do as much. You know, it's it's funny, since we visited a while back, I'll I'll hear your, do you know Derek, no, Derek Cross? But it, it'll come at me from, from different directions, and so it's great that, these opportunities have opened up, and and the connections you're making with the tribe, mm-hmm. and here locally. So yeah, I wanna. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. So yeah, if you go to the Helen Taylor Museum, 
this is typically what people think when they they think, oh yeah, the 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 Indians are Waco Indians, they're all d- dead and gone. You know, the, actually there was a Tribune article that someone, uh, some other person, not not it wasn't really the Tribune, but it was someone who was quoted misinformation. You know, and so you know people will will think the Waco Indians they're all gone, but they're, we're not. You know, we're, we're still around and we're we're thriving. And so that's what I want to do. I want I want to help create not just uh, the help you know, with the education of the old history, but talk about what is the tribe mm-hmm. doing today and what are the, what's the future, you know, because uh, they're, they're a great opportunity. Maybe I can give a shout out to Baylor. If we go through and get through all this process, it looks like maybe by the summer of next year, uh, cedar trees are, are, are to be harvested in May and June so that the bark can be peeled off. And so if we, if we start building a grass house at the, Baylor Mayborn Museum um, that might be around May or June or July next summer that's the goal um, so if we if we get that far um, there will be opportunities so my uncle Gerald is the one who's orchestrating this and I, I spent a week up there to look at the construction and all those kind of things the ba- the Baylor group and the Cedar Waco went up there with me and mm-hmm. Fiona Bond was on Zoom but um there might be opportunities for your listeners or other people to participate in the construction. I want to bring um, some people from the tribe down here, young people. I have some nephews that are like 18, and because mm-hmm. it's a, it's kind of some of that's labor, you know, it's scaffolding and sweating, and and so it's not actually my uncle Gerald. He's 78, so he's not really going to be like doing a lot of the work, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm 57. I don't know how you are, but um, <laughs> sometimes it's. Uh, I'm kind of out of breath, you know, and, but I'm, I'm in okay shape, you know. <laughs> but getting people who too might want to volunteer next summer would be great. And then also, if we can bring people down here, I, I just don't know where where this would be, but maybe if there are some people in the community who have some, not housing, but like Airbnb or places where we could house, it would have to be kind of for free. It would be like, this is my investment as a, real estate person in Waco, I want to give my place, you know, for 30 days so these people can be housed here (coughs) from the tribe in in, in Anadarko. So we're looking for, and and, and also I think that I'm probably going to work on creating a nonprofit either for the tribe and officially be that here or just create a nonprofit to to work on these education things. And and I want to talk to the city or individuals, philanthropic, you know, kind of individuals to see if we can find some land to, I think it would be great. I mean, I'm just saying the Dr. Pepper, I'm a, I'm a homeschooler, you know, for 18 <laughs> years. The Dr. Pepper Museum is a great place to go. That's cool, you know. There's so much history. Waco Tours, I mean, wow. The River Cruise is such a beautiful, it's like seven, six, seven p.m. Sun's going down. Bobby Horner selling stories, you know. It's so cool, but um, to have a center where we could uh, communicate the culture of our well, tribe. I'd love know. to have some Waco-owned land back yeah. in Waco, the, the Wichita-owned yeah. land back in Waco. Yeah, and, yeah. and actually, I'm, I was on the board, part of the board for the, the Austin Powwow. Every year, the Austin Powwow brings in about 20,000 people mm-hmm. to Austin, Texas, and so I'm, I'm connected with the new director. The, the, the Actually, the time that I was there, 20 years ago, he was just barely getting involved. Now he's the director. 
So uh, they have some opportunities for like a half day, one day event where, like when people see Native Americans dance, they're just thinking, oh, Indian dances, that's like a powwow, right? So <coughs> it's kind of like uh, your kids are involved in sports, and so there's a, a basketball, you know, there's a, a three-on-three, you know, there's people who play soccer, you know, for Native American kids, Indian tribes, uh, there are different kinds of dances. So there's jingle dress, straight dance, fancy dance, traditional. There's lots of different kinds. And so there's a group with um, Austin Powwow that we can bring up here. Again, th these things are my ideas. It takes money to do some mm -hmm. of these things. So we, that's why we need people to donate or once I get the nonprofit created. But um, we could bring these people up here and then give people an opportunity to experience the culture and the education that they'll tell stories about this is what this dance is, you know, um, so we can bring these people up here. But my goal would be to long term, and I shared this with the Austin powwow people, you know, if we could uh, longer term uh, have a powwow here in, uh, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it would overnight bring 20,000 people, but, uh, but it would give people an opportunity to learn culture and uh, education like that. Mm -hmm. About 400 of those people who go to the Austin powwow are our vendors. So those are families, those are na native tribal people who have make, they bead or they, they, they make uh, whatever their wares are, you know. And so they get to sell that, but so it's an income for them. And they travel around the state or they go to Oklahoma or they go to different powwows to sell those things. So that would be a great way to help those native Indian communities, people, families. So yeah, that's that's it. Um, so how do you say Waco in uh, our language? Uh, Weaco. Weiko. 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 We gotta we hit the e. Yeah, Weiko. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, well, Derek, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, it, you, just the history you share, what's going on now, kind of your vision for uh, what mean what might be next. Uh, it's awesome to hear about it. Cross the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.